0: I'm Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler podcast, which is used to test for English proficiency by the Thailand Foreign Ministry, and you're listening to Dramatic Travelers Entrepreneurs. ho, my friend,
1: Aaron here, and you have landed on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. My friend, the power of podcasting, it is real. And over at dramaticpodcasting.com, I've got a free mini course where I'm going to show you how to start creating your dream life using the power of your unique voice. Start your podcasting journey today at dramaticpodcasting.com. My guest today certainly knows what it takes to turn Wanderlust into a profitable business. He's joining us from San Jose, California, and his name is Chris Christensen. He has been a travel journalist for 13 years, and you can find him over at AmateurTraveler.com and at BloggerBridge.com. Thanks for joining us, Chris. You ready to rock?
0: I am, although I feel like you may have oversold me just a little bit. He is, he is trying to learn how to make a profitable business out of travel <laughs> is really more accurate.
1: Well, we're all learning. There's plenty to learn every <laughs> single day, no matter how big you get. But just a quick bio on Chris. He is the host of the award-winning online travel show, The Amateur Traveler, which includes a weekly podcast, a video podcast, and a blog. In 2014, Chris won a Lowell Thomas Award for travel journalism from the Society of American Travel Writers and was named the best independent travel journalist by Travel and Leisure magazine. Chris has helped build and run online communities for events uh, and companies including eBay, HBO, TV Guide, Expedia, Marriott, A&E, History oh, Channel, try the and NBA, <laughs> NBC, ABC, Disney, Microsoft Web TV, and American <laughs> Express. And if his resume wasn't already off, uh, awesome enough, he's also the owner of BloggerBridge.com, a startup that connects bloggers and interest- industry contacts. Chris, I'm out of breath. Take it from here, man. What's going on in your world?
0: <laughs> uh, well, that's a rather vague question uh, at this point.
1: <laughs> Now we're, we're obviously we're talking to uh, to people out there in podcast land who are looking to turn their love of travel into a business, and I brought you on the show today because you have been doing amateur traveler for many years, mm-hmm. and certainly you've learned a thing or two along the way. And I would just love for you to share that with my audience. And let's just start with your expertise, your expertise when it
0: comes to travel. I have traveled. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to more countries than years of age, which is getting increasingly difficult as I as I get older here. But uh, I have not been to Antarctica, though. But for the for the record, I have not been to all the continents. Is it on the list? It's on the list. Everything's on the list. <laughs> well, not quite. I, there may be some places we've talked about on Amateur Traveler I don't want to go, but there are not a lot of them. Well, let's talk. Tell us a little bit about Amateur
1: Traveler, and then specifically tell us when you decided to take that love of travel and take it to the next level and turn it into a business that has become the Amateur
0: Traveler universe? Uh, sure. So, well, when did I... I started Amateur Traveler in 2005. Uh, July 2nd of 2005 was when the first episode went up. And the very first podcast and portable media expo, the very first podcasting conference was held that fall. And there was a... Small, small group of people that got together. I think it was Paul Culligan and I to talk about how to monetize this new podcasting thing. So, when did I decide that I wanted to make money from this? Was 2005. Uh, when will I be able to do it as a full-time job? I'm not sure. Maybe that's 2025. Uh, that's been a you know a process. Uh, I've definitely been building up the numbers for the show. We're seeing – well, 2018 is already a record year for downloads of the Amateur Traveler. We've had more than 2 million downloads for the first time, and that was two weeks ago when it was still June. So we're, we're kind of doubling how much downloads we have. Um, so it's it's that's good. you know you you build up a base of an audience and then you need to figure out how to monetize that and some of that is advertising. Some of that is what you do in addition to that. Um, I do amateur traveler tours, although those are more underwriting my travel than you know largely uh, profitable, I would say at this point. but uh, and then you know other, things on the blog as well. The blog in some ways is more typical. There are a lot more travel blogs out there, a lot more people who know how to deal with travel blogs and therefore in some ways easier to monetize uh, just because there are things like affiliate links and there are things like advertising and there um, are even some things like syndication and things like that that are well-known established models.
1: You have some, those are some fairly gaudy numbers you have there on your podcast. What are what are your summary of your ideas and what's your an ideal you know way to monetize that in your mind?
0: Uh, so sponsorship is definitely something that I'm always trying to get you know more sponsors for the show, and that's the obvious one. Uh, some of the things that are less obvious are, um, you know, I've got a couple different ebooks in the work that I'm hoping to put up and sell that just keep getting pushed further down uh because I actually make my living and this is one of the reasons that I put the caveat at the beginning is I I still make my living as a travel uh, as a travel sorry as a software engineer right now some of my gigs doing software contracting are in the travel space for instance I was a director of engineering at tripadvisor for years and then went back once I quit the full time work to work for them for three more years as a contractor in a couple different groups and now doing some work for Timeout.com that's you know makes the timeout magazines if people have seen those in London and New York and now they do an online thing. So I still am in the travel space. I'm also the um, advisor for well a couple different travel uh, startups one was sold so i guess i'm not a advisor for that one anymore and the other one is just got funding so i still do that sort of thing where possible i combine the two you know in a way that is easy to make money and, and software contracting when you have been doing it as long as i have is is a pretty easy way to make money
1: well good it's always you know you got to keep the Got to keep the lights on and got to keep food on the table. Right. So going back to that, you know, that the beginning of the journey, uh, the beginning of the amateur traveler journey, what was the biggest challenge for you getting started, getting that out of the gates? You clearly had the passion for travel, but you wanted to take that to the next level. What was that biggest challenge?
0: Well, the biggest challenge was my original plan was just, stupid. (laughs) So my original plan was, and if you listen to episode one of the amateur traveler, it's still up there. You can find that my plan is I'm going to be talking about my travels. Well, I was not a nomad or something like that. You know, where a lot of people we know these days, I suspect you know, as well that, that are out there full time and I had a day job. I was I had I think 4 weeks vacation which was pretty darn good for an American at that point but I was traveling 4 weeks a year and podcasting 48 weeks a year. And that math doesn't work for that plan, right? That plan was inconsistent with my life nor was I going to be changing my life. My my wife is still working a full-time job and still, you know, loves it and uh, basically has worked her way into her dream job just 10 years ago or so, the one that she wanted to do out of college, but, you know, fell into other things. And so she, you know, she's absolutely not, I I think, ever wanting to be a nomad. And I'm not even sure that I am. So, you know, that, that plan was stupid. (laughs) So it was very quickly that I started realizing that I was running out of content and started talking to friends who were traveling and interviewing them about their travels and then discovered I really liked that that I really enjoyed hearing about other people's travels because I already knew all my own travel stories, right? It's not as much fun to me on my podcast, at least to talk about my travel stories because they're not new. And so it became an interview show within six months or something like that. And so that meant that it was now sustainable from a content point of view because the hardest thing about podcasting um, as I'm sure you could tell people as well is sustaining it. It's continuing and doing it week after week after week. And when I, my goal was to 48 episodes a year, when I hit 10 years, I think I had averaged 47 a year. Uh, so that wasn't too bad. That was pretty close to the, the original plan.
1: That is a a benchmark for consistency as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. But even though, you know, I, it's humorous that you say that you're, 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 Original plan was was stupid, but I also because I, I really buy into that idea that if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of your product, then you waited <laughs> too long. So, right. but you got it out there, you know. You got especially sure. back in in 2005. I mean, like you said, podcasting it wasn't even called podcasting yet. It was in its, uh, yeah, in it's infancy. It was,
0: it was podcasting already by that point. It but was put okay. It, put it in perspective: in July of 2005, podcasting had started about nine months earlier. I had started listening to podcasts about six months earlier and I thought I was late. Uh, Honestly, I almost didn't start this because I thought I was late to podcasting because podcasting had been going on for months at that time, which is just laughable at this point (laughs) because there are still people discovering podcasting today, uh, obviously. And the numbers today are much, much larger than they were at that time. I remember hitting 200 downloads per episode in about nine months and, you know, being ecstatic. Well, if I was getting 200 episodes still 13 years later, I probably would have quit long ago. You know, there just weren't that many people listening at that time.
1: But you were able to iterate, you were able to grow and you were able to, sure. to figure out and enjoy it. Yeah, well, of course. And that's, that's a huge part. And you can't, you, know, you yeah. certainly can't downplay that if you don't enjoy what you're doing. Cause you know, cause you're you know, you're the heart and soul of amateur traveler. And if you, right. you know, if you're not feeling it anymore, it's, it's likely going to, going to kind of die. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is just to talk about anyone out there who wants to turn their, their love of travel into a business, but specifically into a podcast. What advice would you have for the aspiring podcaster in the travel space?
0: Well, the first thing is so I'm actually teaching a couple of classes on podcasting here coming up so I've been thinking about this uh one at travel con that I think you'll be at mm-hmm. uh session on that the, the first thing that I always like to tell people is make sure that what you're trying to accomplish and your format and you know all of those things are consistent. And so for instance My podcast, really, you know, in terms of whether it's a business, I think you know we could debate that because I'm not sure whether it is or not. But what my goal was, was to be able to travel more because of the podcast, right? And one way to do that would be make a lot of money and spend it on travel, and and that's not really what that has been. I think my best year of amateur traveler was. Uh, back when i was you know selling links which which got me almost banned from google um and that was you know like $26,000 something like that in in cash um but my goal wasn't cash necessarily although that was you know part of it it was travel and what i have gotten has been tens of thousands of dollars of travel on a yearly basis out of the show so if you want to do a show that will lead you to you know give you something to pitch to destinations that's a different show than a show for instance is so i had a friend for instance who was doing a show about that was interviewing kind of like this show right interviewing people uh, on a particular topic uh more topical based and he wanted to pitch to destinations like well that doesn't lend itself as much to pitching to destinations as you show about destinations. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious, right? What audience do you want to build? So, for instance, your uh, dramatic travel, you're looking to build an audience in the family travel space. Well, all your monetization opposition, you know, uh, opportunities will be in the family travel space, or at least the bulk of them, right? So, make sure that that is a space. That is one – if you want to monetize, that is monetizable, that there's money in that space and who are the people you'd want to work with. Now, some of the people, for instance, who do travel blogs, for instance, that have the most success from a money point of view, they're more focused. So I think of my uh, friends from what is it, Barefoot Travel down in Costa Rica. They, They talk about Costa Rica. And they have all sorts of you know content. It's just Costa Rica, Costa Rica, Costa Rica. Well, they make a lot of money off affiliate revenue and direct sales and things like that because it's focused. Google understands their site is about Costa Rica. And so it's a lot easier to do that. But on the other hand, if you want to do that you can make good money, but when you want to pitch to go up to the Yukon, they're, like, they're going to look at your blog and say, well, your, your blog is about Costa Rica, right? So you're just looking for consistency between what am I trying to get out of this monetarily, uh, other benefits of it, what audience am I trying to build, and then what show am I doing, what topics. And then the other thing I say is for a podcast particularly, and this would be true for a blog today, I guess, but more so it seems for a podcast is, is there enough content Ongoing. Do you have at least 20 different ideas for episodes for the amateur traveler? We're talking about a different destination. Well, it's fairly easy to come up with different destinations. We've been able to do it for 13 years for this week in travel, which is another of the three travel podcasts I do. We talk about news, and then we also do interviews. Well, that show, there's always news. There's always somebody got kicked off a plane for some stupid reason. You know, there's something funny that happened in travel or something that you need to know that happened in travel. So a new show will always have new content. The disadvantage is the back catalog is not as useful. And when I say the back catalog, it's the show that you recorded 10 years ago. People don't tend to listen to old shows of This Week in Travel They do that all the time for Amateur Traveler because that show we did 10 years ago about what you should see in Paris is mostly true. There may be some new things to see, but the Eiffel Tower is still the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre is still the Louvre.
1: And content creation world, we refer to that as evergreen content. Yeah,
0: it's it's always fresh. My downloads, uh, we did 400,000 downloads for the first time uh, last month. About five sixths of that are older shows, shows that are not from, not probably not from the current month, but you know many of those not even from the current year, um, and so it's something to be aware of. Now, on the other hand, if you're going to insert ads into that you need you know you can do that dynamic advertising but that gets a little more complicated than recording an ad as you as you put the show out uh, so monetizing your back catalog is a slightly different strategy than monetizing your new show if that makes sense
1: yeah it doesn't it just seems like it would be something that you'd have to know in advance that you were going to want to do otherwise you're going to have to go back like in your case 600 some odd episodes and you know, taking one file by file plugging in new ads if you didn't have that dynamic setup.
0: Well, sort of. Yeah, you can do that. And we've been able to do dynamic ad insertions. Uh, the first s- podcast hosting uh, that I ever did was on a, a network called Fruitcast, and that came out in 2005, actually. And they were able to do dynamic ad insertions. So really, that's technology we've had for a long time. Although... <laughs> And and here's the bad news with Amateur Travelers. I do an iTunes enhanced show that gives you pictures and links so you can see what we're talking about, which is cool. But you can't insert dynamic ads in that version of the show. And that is easily two-thirds to three-quarters of my downloads. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that it, uh, I'm still trying to figure out. Is there a way that I can – get rid of that or do Patreon support where people support, you know, pay if they want that version or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's something that you think about all the time is how do I change this in light of what is happening these days?
1: Now in that iTunes enhanced is, mm-hmm. are there, is it, is anything clickable? Can you, can you put in yeah. visual ads?
0: Uh, Well, it's clickable. Yes. It's so it's, you have uh, a photo, and a link and a chapter potentially. Uh, and a chapter means that you can skip ahead from that ad, or you can skip to that section of content. Um, and so the the chapter mark is optional, but you can have photos and links. For instance, in Amateur Traveler, if you download that version, and you have to have a iTunes compatible device you can't do that on and well can't do that on most android players uh and so i have to do an mp3 version as well for that Um, but that version you know every time we're talking about someplace you're seeing it and there's a link usually that goes off to more information about that and those same links are in the show notes so
1: Okay, cool. Well, certainly lots to know about about podcasting out there. For for those of you out there in podcast land, interested in turning your love of travel into a podcast or just sharing that content on a variety of other platforms.
0: There's a lot of good information in there for you as well. The the one thing we should talk about before we leave the podcasting as a topic is expectations. The average podcast right now within the first month of downloads gets... 200 downloads for a show. That's average across all podcasts everywhere that are coming out and I think that are putting out shows. So not counting the ones that are um, you know, still archived but the show is not active. For active shows the average number of downloads per month in you know, the first month of an episode is 200. So so 400,000 is unusual. Don't do your numbers calculated. You know, I had a friend who she was doing a show called Palo Alto 360. This is way back in 2006. And she quit her day job. She had 60 downloads per episode. So I don't know why. You know, there is no math that works unless those 60 people are billionaires and you can you know, get some sort of advertising. Uh, that That is a strategy that did not work. Um, so if you're starting a podcast, I would definitely start it on the side until you see that you can build up the traffic because uh, there are there's a lot of podcasts out there. Not as many as blogs, by far. There's far, far more blogs than there are podcasts. But it is still competitive, and it's still, you know, hard to get noticed uh, these days as you put something out.
1: Certainly, but that's not to say that you can't have a, a quote-unquote successful podcast sure. from a business perspective with a small audience. If you have that, you know, that those hundred, two hundred, thousand, whatever, just rabid, loyal fans who are willing to invest. Their money in your products and services or you know, you, whatever you can't
0: it is. Do it if your uh, if your monetization strategy is advertising.
1: No, absolutely not because yeah, you're you're exactly. talking you're talking pennies per thousand downloads.
0: You need it to be consulting product or, or product service. or something like that. Exactly, or it has made- to be consistent with your plan. Yeah,
1: or some sort yep. of very lucrative affiliate relationship that you can now offer to your your small but loyal audience. So if you have some really deep niche expertise and you put it out in a podcast you can absolutely monetize a small audience if you have a product a service or an affiliate relationship that is is very lucrative
0: well and it's and it's easier to monetize need than want it's easier to monetize that if you know leaving the travel space for a second uh to to monetize this will help me help my business than it is uh that was fun Right, as somebody who is in the that was fun <laughs> sort of area, you know, rather than, uh, you know, this podcast, for instance, should be easier to monetize when you're doing something that will help people create value. There is value there to be offered. Uh, that is of that is of monetary value. And so the your strategies are going to be more varied.
1: And certainly for, and for more information about all this, I'm going to have some great podcasting resources up again at dramatic travels.com forward slash E that's E for entrepreneurs, dramatic travels.com slash E. Now, Chris, I'm going to just move into some, a little bit more of your story and talking about, I like to talk about, about preparation and talking about the grind and the hustle that goes into building really any business, but especially sure. a content creative a content business around travel. So luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So do you have a story about a time when your preparation just prepared you and enabled you to seize an opportunity, but to an outsider, it might have seemed like you just got lucky? Oh, well,
0: the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you didn't mention the weirdest things that happened. You I, I When we were talking on your other podcast about the, you mentioned the little Thomas Award and... And also the Smitty Award for Travel Leisure. Those you know, both caught me somewhat by surprise. A little Thomas you apply for at least. I mean you you submit. But the other one was completely by surprise. Those are not the weirdest things that happened to me just even that year. <laughs> the The three weirdest things that happened to me in that year. And these all came out of all of the work that has gone to damage travel. And this year is uh, four years ago, 2014. I got invited to the Obama White House. <laughs> I was in uh, Jordan, uh, first of all, as a guest of the Jordan Tourism Board for a week with a private driver and guide. I mean, when we talk about monetization, for instance, and I said that there are val- there's value that I get that is beyond cash. That is a <laughs> that is a great value to me. Uh, that whole experience was amazing. But in the midst of that amazing experience, the Tourism Board wrote me and said, "By the way, the." hope is going to be in town when you're here in oman would you we'd love you to go to the stadium to hear him speak it's like well i'm not catholic but i mean he seems like an interesting guy and and i would always want to make the tourism board happy i mean they're spending their money to get me here so sure i'd love to do that and They write back and say well change of plans uh we're not going to do that. We're going to get you press credentials and send you to when the Pope and the royal family visit the baptism site of Christ. <laughs> it's like, Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so I was a travel, uh, photographer for a day, um, basically playing papal pap- paparazzi. And then the third weird thing that happened that year is as far as I know, this is still true. If you go get to get a job with the Thailand foreign ministry, so their version of the state department, you will be required to listen to two episodes of The Amateur Traveler and will be graded on your understanding of the English in them as part of your English comprehension exam. So, I mean, weird things happen all the time. Uh, That year was, I think, particularly notable because all five of those things happened in in the same time. But, I mean, all of that is coming out of, you know, every episode of the show takes at least eight to ten hours because we do a heavily edited show now these days i i outsource the editing the the main audio edit of the show so that i'm paying money instead of instead of time but it's still taking you know eight to ten hours of someone's time and these days probably still by the time you do the interview and the final uh putting together of the show, which I still do the adding in the intro and the outro and, and then promoting it, promoting it takes, you know, an hour just in itself. Cause I have a script for, these are all the things that I do to promote every single episode. You know, there's, you know, 10 tweets and, uh, one Pinterest post and, you know, Facebook, uh, page and google plus and linkedin and you know i have this this script writing the tourism board and letting them know we did a show and here's the the graphics and the player to send off to the guest and you know all of that stuff adds up so roughly 8 to 10 hours of work per episode for for that show i do four podcasts that's the one that is more heavily Produced and heavily promoted because I just don't have I don't have time to do that for for the other shows that I do, uh, but that's very intentional. That if I'm going to get out of it what I want to, I need to make sure I put in that effort into in terms of planning and promotion and you know editing and things like that.
1: Well, that's some serious hustle, and but then you get those, <laughs> but you get that back catalog, those episodes, and then they the, the audience builds when you're doing when you're showing up and taking those actions episode right. after episode all that social media work and the editing and the and the connecting with the tourism boards you know you're probably not going to move the needle you know, off the charts from one episode to the next, but you're going to move it a little bit. And then like you you mentioned earlier, you know, getting new listeners who just discover you for the first time and they say, Hey, look, Chris has 600 and something odd episodes in the back catalog. I'm going to just go
0: through these one at a time. Oh, I do. Yeah. Which is always surprising. (laughs) But it also then, you know, when I'm pitching for instance, so, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting better at pitching. So, you know, one of the best pitches I did was, I received a newsletter from the German Tourism Board. This would have been 2 years ago or so. And they said, you know, next year in, the, in 2017 it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And I pitched them and said, "Okay, um I'm I'm a Christian, I'm Lutheran, I'm I'm half German, and I have this show called Amateur Traveler." I sent them the stats for here's here are all the downloads that we've had for every show that we've done on Germany and it's, you know, 200,000 downloads or something like that, you know, so we've, we've got an audience that, that is interested in Germany. Um, I can get you at least, you know, 20,000 downloads within the first, well, these, these days within the first year, uh, maybe I said 10,000 downloads at that time because I was pitching a little, little while ago. Um, I don't remember what else I put in that pitch, but basically at that point, you've got some credibility right i mean they wrote back and said you're right we should we should absolutely work with you and they and they flew me to europe and paid for me to go on a, a basically a 7 to 10 days i don't remember exactly road trip in what was eastern germany hitting a lot of those historic sites again just a f- fabulous trip just exactly the kind of thing i wanted to do Because I pitched work, right? I said, this is the trip I want to do. I think it's a value to you because you're trying to promote this in this way. And let me help you do that. And so, you know, all of that work that you put in, you then package that up as you, as you send it out in a pitch.
1: Well, and Chris, that is a great lesson on promoting yourself as an authority. In this case, promoting yourself on, on uh, Germany. And I I got on a much smaller scale just to kind of on that same theme of promoting yourself as an authority. Before I even started my podcast, I knew I was starting it. I had my website up. I was preparing for launch. And there was a, a a travel show for the public that was in right in your backyard, as a matter of fact. It was down in Santa Clara by the, the 49er Stadium, the travel and adventure show.
0: And oh, I, wrote, sure. yeah. I, I wrote
1: him. I said, hey, look, I'm a podcaster. Can I get a, a media pass for this? And he wrote me back. Thank you so much, and they sent me this whole media media kit, and then I lined up interviews with some of the speakers. I, I got to interview Rick Steves. I got to interview uh-huh. Samantha Brown in person on video, just because I had this podcast that hadn't even launched yet. But I advocated myself. I positioned myself as an authority in the travel space, and I I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like I, I at that point I was I was nobody, but uh, to them I wasn't nobody. Just the way you weren't nobody right. uh, to the to the country of Germany because of your work on. On amateur traveler, it's just you know, positioning yourself as that
0: authority—it's huge.
1: And then you got to deliver. Well, then, then you got to deliver. Exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. That is the way you get invited back. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just in uh, Florida and uh, Montgomery, Alabama, in May. I was traveling most of the month of May, and in Colorado. And then you know, June I was kept really busy putting out six different videos, six different blog posts. Uh, We've done a couple different podcasts already. You know, I just want that the people who have spent the money to have me, you know, fly me out or, uh, you know, rent me a rental car when I'm in Florida anyway, to drive down to the Florida Keys, you want them to be with people who say to their friends, because it's a small community, (laughs) the travel destination community, you know that Chris, he delivers. He's pleasant to have around. (laughs) If you're doing a press trip, you know, I love, love having him around and, and boy, he delivers when he comes. Um, And that's going to lead to more opportunities too, is especially in the content space, is your content any darn good? So,
1: Right. Well, don't underestimate
0: being pleasant to be around and easy oh, to work with. Oh, that is huge. Uh, it's huge, whether you're public you a public speaker or – If you really want a fun night <laughs> in the travel space, go out to dinner with you know three different tourism PR people and ask them what's your worst story. Um, I did this in Mexico with people from three different agencies and one who's retired from agency is now uh, does a lot of blogging and things. And it's just hilarious. And these aren't necessarily travel bloggers. These sometimes professional travel writers who, you know, everybody knows that this guy's a drunk, you know, or the people who – Um, they literally got into fist cuffs, fisticuffs over the free rum that there were six bottles and six journalists and they're fighting because one person is putting them all into their suitcase because I promised them to people. I mean, just, you know, just idiots. Uh, the person who in front of the host at the hotel or no, at the destination turns to the PR person and says, or to one of the other journalists and says, what were the rooms like in the first hotel? Because she had gone home with the cook that night. She was going to write about the hotel, but she'd never seen it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, fortunately y- you don't have to stand out. It doesn't take that much to stand out as somebody who's pleasant to deal with. You show up on time for everything. You don't complain. You're flexible. Uh, you know, when when things are going on and uh, and then you deliver on time. That's it. That's beautiful. The one, Going back just for a second,
1: talking about, you know, these 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 trips and these, you know, talking about the rental cars. What about the taxes on that? How do you deal with paying taxes on these these trips that you're you're given?
0: As far as I understand it at this point, and this is something that's been established by travel journalists for a while, is that that is n- not taxable uh, income there's been some debates about that but that's the way the travel industry has dealt with it for uh, for some time now you can't really write about a place if you haven't been there and so it's it's basically considered a business expense for them just as if you were going on you know if if I in my job as a software engineer have to fly to London to have uh, meetings for a week with timeout and they put me up in a hotel uh, that is not I'm not taxed on that as if it's a a gift. Basically, that is just a business expense that I they need to put me up there and and things like that, and it's treated the same way as I understand it. Again, I am not a tax attorney.
1: Okay, well that 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 is good to know because you know, if you're having to pay taxes on these quote unquote free trips, that can eat into any profit pretty
0: darn quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. But you do keep track of all the expenses that you use. You know, it's best to have a separate bank account and keep it, or even a corporation. I don't have a corporation. I'm still filing individually, but keep track of all the different expenses, the expenses for meals on the road, for hosting blogs and podcasts and all the things you expense. And then if you have income in the business as well, advertising affiliate links and all those sorts of things, you can offset some of that income. Uh, with the cost of doing your business Uh, and if you don't know how to do that you know find an accountant who is who is competent Uh, if you're going to run an independent independent business of any type
1: cool all right let's let's turn look forward just a little bit Chris what are you what are you working on now what's got you excited
0: I'm working on a variety of uh, about four different contracts right now trying to wrap up some stuff before I hit the road again Um, and in, in the meantime, I've got some plans for in the amateur traveler business, you know, getting some PDFs out there. Uh, we'll see if I can do that by the end of the summer. Uh, I suspect it may fall into uh, the October time frame, but realistically, and it doesn't help to not be realistic. Now
1: reach for those stars, man. And so just sounds like there's I'm sure there's plenty of challenges in, in your business. There's those are never going to go away. But what's your biggest challenge right now?
0: Uh, focus because I am basically, you know, doing four podcasts, um, four contracts, <laughs> uh, plus amateur traveler blog plus blogger bridge, which uh, we didn't mention, which is a small independent, uh, startup that I run focus is definitely it, it i have i am operating on a split focus um, i am living i live off of my to-do list and that's the only reason i can you know repeatedly consistently get things done because i have to <laughs> basically i have to re, you know make a plan for what i'm getting done today and and who gets the attention today
1: do you have any strategies tools or tactics that you use or recommend for finding that focus and executing that plan
0: uh tools i'm i mostly live out of the things program which is a to-do list on mac and in part the reason i live with that one is that i can do uh, repeated projects so for instance every sunday a new amateur traveler episode uh whole project with like 12 different things i have to check off for each episode falls into my uh, into my to-do list and for things like that that i do repeatedly it helps me keep track of all the different things i have to i have you know to-do lists for everything that i do even amateur traveler, 13 years later i i'm working off a to-do list as i am getting one out because you know so often i'm getting it out on a friday night when my energy is low i also do a lot of the pomodoro method of uh you know work work for 25 minutes and then check email for five minutes or or play a game for five minutes and then, you know, work again, especially when I'm low energy, uh, which I need some of this stuff. That's when I have time to get it done. Love the Pomodoro method. Huge fan of it. Yep, it,
1: yep. it really only works when you're on your own schedule, though. Unfortunately, when you, you know, it's difficult to use in an office, sitting in a cubicle when people could pop in and interrupt you at any moment. But yeah, that I, I'm exact same as you 25 on tw- or 25 on five off is,
0: is perfect for me. Yeah. When I manage people in, you know, I've been a manager and director of engineering and things like that. Uh, what I try to do when I'm in that role is, you know, tell people, first of all, you do not need to read my emails every five minutes, uh, email. I will send you email if I need response back in hours. Uh, if I need a response sooner than that, then we had people be on instant message or, or I could call them or things like that. But, you know, trying to differentiate what needs to be an interrupt and what, you know, if you read your email every couple hours, then then that's fine. That's that's where we're going to send you that kind of information. And then even having things like I remember putting, you know, getting one of those signs like you have in a business, you know, we'll be back at such and such and hanging it over my cubicle door <laughs> or cubicle entryway when I was at a, the first startup I was at when we were working just, you know, ridiculous amounts of hours. Uh, you know, I need to focus on this thing for half an hour, just give me half an hour, uh, come back at that time.
1: Yeah, be your own advocate, my friend. Yeah. If you got something to get done, you, you let people know and you, uh, you fight for that space. You fight for that time. So Chris, as we wind down here, I just want to, let's, let's go out on a, on a high note here. I just want to get some, some advice some kind of rockstar advice for folks starting out. Because even if, you know, say you're, even if you're not at a 10 yet on the entrepreneurial scale, Say you're at a five, but there's people at one, two, three, and four who are looking up to you, and you can kind of send that elevator back down for some help. So, Chris, can you tell us about a specific tactic that you use to fight through tough times as an entrepreneur?
0: Um, habit, I think, is one of the things that helps. Is just you know, just making the donuts, <laughs> just <laughs> having your list of things and working through it, and uh, basically that develops some persistence muscles, uh, just getting in the habit of doing that stuff and, and setting aside specific times if you need to, especially if you're doing it as a side hustle, uh, specific spaces. But partly, it's just it's work in the process.
1: What is something that you were obsessed with
0: in the beginning of your business that turned out to be fairly unimportant? Well, there were whole sorts of social media things that have come and gone since I started this, uh, in the, in the amateur traveler space. I mean, the whole, whole things that have I, I had a, there is still, I'm sure a MySpace page for amateur traveler. Uh, there, there are definitely things that I put time into that just went away. Um, so yeah, the things, those sort of things will, tactics will come and go for sure. Then, and I was obsessed with stats, um I mean on a daily basis, uh going in and checking downloads and things like that. And that just that's not that important. <laughs> Making the donuts, you know, just getting out the episodes is really what caused it to grow, not me looking at the stats every day.
1: So if I if I wasn't worried about getting uh, Google to think I was a food podcast. I would call this episode "Making the Donuts" with Chris Christensen, but <laughs> I think it might attract the wrong type of listener. Chris, who has had uh, besides yourself, of course, who has had the biggest positive impact on your business?
0: Probably a lot of the other people who are in the space who I've learned from. Um, it's a it's a very cooperative space. Uh, a lot of good people in it, and so. You know, it's the, the, one of the reasons I like going to conferences is sitting down with people going, well, What is working for you? You know, what are you doing? Um, and we're all tends to be, you know, helping people out, you know, even though they're all competitors too at the same time.
1: Well, going to a conferences, at least as an attendee, is certainly an investment in yourself. So, Chris, can yeah. you tell us about the best investment you've ever
0: made in yourself? Oh, that college education is paying off pretty well these days. That's still how I make a living. So uh, that by that would by far be the best educa- best investment I'm in.
1: All right, my friend. We've been talking to Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler. You can find him at AmateurTraveler.com. And Chris, because we mostly focused on your business here today, we didn't talk too yep. much about travel. Is there a piece of content out there we can link to that just really defines who you are as a traveler and what you're all about?
0: Uh, you could link to the Amateur Traveler Manifesto.
1: Sweet. That's th- that's exactly what I want. Anything with manifesto in the title. <laughs> yeah, we're, there you We're go. in good shape. <laughs> All right, Chris Christensen, real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs, and looking forward to seeing good things from you in the future.
0: Great chat with you. Okay, bye.
1: If you create travel content, then you know how important it is to truly connect with your audience. And podcasting is simply a phenomenal way to create those intimate connections. Podcasting lets you use the power of your voice to share your message, change people's lives, all while expanding your influence and growing your business. My friend, podcasting is a huge part of my dream life, and I want to help make it part of yours too. So if you're ready to start using the power of your voice, take that first step by going to dramaticpodcasting.com and there you're going to find everything you need to start your podcasting journey from how to create and launch your podcast to how to grow your audience and start making money. It's all there, my friend. It's at dramaticpodcasting.com.